Hi, it's David Averin with the Customer Experience Advantage podcast. You know, it's really easy to talk in broad strokes about becoming more customer centric or pointing to the big players like Apple and Amazon and say, be more like that. But who has the kind of budget and resources to do what they do? My guest today is Adam Toporek. He's a customer experience colleague of mine, author and fellow podcaster, who is masterful at helping companies and their frontline workers be their customer's hero and recognize how they can do much better with what they have. I'm talking today with the brilliant Adam Toporek. It's David Averin with the Customer Experience Advantage podcast back in 20 seconds. You're listening to the Customer Experience Advantage podcast with David Averin. Featuring candid conversations with some of the most influential leaders in business today. Sit back and listen in, or feel free to watch the video version online. This is the Customer Experience Advantage podcast, and here's David Averin. Hey, thanks, and welcome to the podcast today. I am David Averin, and I will tell you, I am fighting the post-COVID cough. It's not really long COVID, but I'm one of these really lucky individuals um, because I travel extensively as many of my guests do as well. And I've had this stupid thing three times. And so uh, actually I'm feeling great, fully boosted and vast and everything else. So we're serious, but then it triggers this little cough. So if during this podcast, whether you're watching the video version on my website or on YouTube, or you're listening to the audio version, of course, on all of the major platforms, if there is an awkward pause or a weird jump cut, that's just because my brilliant producer, Nuresh, um, cut out some coughing fit or something else. All right, enough of that. Um, no disclaimers here. Um, this is, this is a, a, I think, a really good show. One of the things that for all of us who are in the CX space and the customer service space as well, um, you know, I, I think it's sort of standard that you bring up some of the big stories. I, I think with any speaker, there are the standard stories, the FedEx story, the Starfish story, Gag, and, and others as well. But even in the <laughs> CX space, they point to some of the major players and here's who's doing it right. And people throw up their hands like, wow. How the hell am I supposed to do that? I don't have an Amazon budget. Uh, I'm not international. Well, uh, my guest today is really good at this. Um, he he's a, he's a trainer. I, I'll let him say more about him, but I'll, I'll give you his his standard uh, introduction here. Adam Tapork is an internationally recognized customer experience expert, keynote speaker, and customer service trainer. He helps organizations transform their relationships with their customers through better strategy training and communication. He's the author of Be Your Customer's Hero, the founder of the popular Customers That Stick blog, and co-host of the Crack the Customer Code podcast, as well as the creator of multiple virtual training courses on customer service and experience. Adam, welcome to the show. Thank you, David. Pleasure to be here. And uh, it, you know, I love, I've actually seen you speak, and we didn't even get to talk about that before. And I love hearing your thoughts on customer experience. So I know we're gonna have a great conversation. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's one of the, it's kind of, I, I laugh about this because it's like people that's, that play in bands. You know, I used to sing in a group when I was, you know, in my 20s. And we're all at different clubs on Friday night. And so you don't really get to hear each other because we're in different places. And so because you and I are, are, are very much in the same subject, we're generally not at the same conferences. So we see each other at the National Speakers Association and things like that. But I'm a big fan, a big fan from afar. I, I like the in-depth work. I like sort of the transition that you've made to incorporate the customer experience and the customer service as well. But let's jump into that. Um, and, and sort of in the opening, when I talk about, you know, for all of us, you know, it's really easy to throw out the big players and the big names. How do you help 
uh, smaller businesses, mid-side businesses and others, recognize some of the, the strategies and tactics employed by the bigger ones, but within the constraints and the budgets and the staffing that, that, they're, uh, that they're saddled with. Right. I mean, the first thing is acknowledging that not every lesson is applicable, right? Not every lesson right. is something you can apply to a small business or a medium-sized business. And the other thing is, you know, when you look at scale, scale changes everything. Yeah. And that's what people fail to recognize that the impact of scale on an operation completely changes the dynamic. It changes how you approach experience problems, uh, how you approach staffing, how you approach uh, silos and silo management. You know, you don't have, a, you don't necessarily have silos if you have a restaurant with 30, 30 employees, but you have silos if you're FedEx or if you're, you know, whatever large company, Ritz Carlton, even a customer experience, a legendary customer experience company, sure. they still have to worry about silos. They still have to worry about those challenges of scale. So when we look at say principles, those things apply across the board, but how we apply them can change. So let's take one of the topics I'm very passionate about. And I think the market has fortunately kept uh, sort of caught up with my passion because it is more and more important every year is reducing customer hassle. Yeah. Uh, in the journey. Now we, we can talk about sort of why I talk about hassle and not friction or effort maybe a little bit later. But when you look at that from the standpoint of a small business, you've got to apply a more granular approach to hassle, right? You're not going to have that. You may not even have you know, good qualitative data to use, right? If, if I'm analyzing hassle for a Fortune 500 company, I'm looking at qualitative data. I'm looking at the touch points, which points are going to be actually you know, where we're seeing resistance, where we're seeing drop-off or card abandonment, even in a digital experience. In a small business, we're going to have to approach it differently. We've got to look at some basic principles of hassle. So what are our policies and procedures? Right, that's one of the, to me, I, I always call policies and procedures the OG of hassle. Right? Yeah, right. Exactly right. It's how we want to do it, not necessarily how our customers want to deal with us, but we've created this customer path that works for us. But you're right, we've got to ask the question, does it work for them? Well, exactly. And I actually uh, came up with a term years ago called rule accretion, which is you know, given sort of a natural development, every organization accrues more rules and regulations. You never get less, okay, right? You, you never just drop them. You have to right. purposely focus to minimize. You have to like actually evaluate your policies and procedures. So how many doctor's offices or, you know, um, small businesses where there's a subscription, a gym membership, have you, you know, dealt with, and I'm going to use that negative phrasing, dealt with in your life, uh, where it was a hassle to do business with them, right? Where you've got to come in and fill out the paper form and it's the year 2022. I mean, you, know, you, can't, you can't even right. do like a Google form. I mean, anything. Well, well right? and let me, give, let me give you a different one. Yeah. I don't mean to interrupt, but I, but I love that example because it can also go to the other extreme, which is somebody sold them some technology that's going to say, we're going to take all this hassle off of your frontline staff. And so they create this technology, some iPad, and they give it to the patient walking in. It's like, so the guy who's bleeding from his head is supposed to navigate your technology, which by the way, he was never trained on. So your, so your frontline person receptionist doesn't have to do it. Let's give it to the bleeding guy. It's crazy. Exactly. <laughs> That's why I have a really, uh, it's actually not about technology, but I have a really old blog post on my blog and you can probably uh, find it there. 
And I think it's called just uh, just shut up and bleed or just sit down and bleed. And oh, about my experience <laughs> it is good. at an urgent care center where I just the most incredible hassle you've imagined. And then yeah. uh, a lack of bedside manner on top of that. Yeah. And uh, lack so, of you know, urgency. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and a right. lack of urgency. That's very good too. Um, so, you know, when I, when we talk about hassle, so just talking about a small business perspective, a lot of times I'll just look at sort of five basic principles, one policies and procedures, um, silos that may not be as big, a I you know, big an issue in a smaller, medium sized business, but it still can be, you still can have an HR department. You can still have purchasing or accounts payable or accounts receivable that are part of the client experience, right? I mean, we're not talking about, you know, a company with 200 employees can have these types of issues. So sure. silo and communication issues can still matter. They're different. Uh, poor experience design, you alluded to that, right? We're designing the experience for ourselves. What's easiest for us, oftentimes we're not designing the experience for the optimal customer journey. Right. And um, let me pause on that for a second okay, because we think because we think we are. Right. I mean, I, I brought that up with clients as well, and they're not clueless. Right. But what they're doing is, is they're, they're saying this works well for them, but they're really looking at it from their perspective. And what they aren't doing very well is looking through the customer's eyes. Um, I, I've heard other colleagues and others as well talking about we do this stuff and we don't think about the customer. That's naive. Everybody's thinking about the customer. I just don't think they're doing it from the right perspective. I think they're looking for, as, as we know, efficiencies right? Predictability in that path. Um, but it really does take getting on the other side of the transaction and looking at it through their eyes as well. Oh, 100%. You know, it's, I, he was a true genius, I think. Uh, Tom Peters, management by walking around, management by wandering sure. around. But we can say the same thing about CX by walking around and CX by wandering around, right? Love I mean, it. literally, as you, as you point out, getting in your customer's shoes. I mean, I, I'm like, Call your number. Listen to it. <laughs> For you know, call from call from a number nobody knows. See, uh, walk in your store. Have your friend walk in the store. <clears throat> hire a secret. Hire a secret shopper. Whatever it may be, because um, you know, we never view the experience the same. And it's always important to remember those perspectives. When I do um, trainings for organizations, one of the things I do is I do calls with a, uh, you know a handful of people Smart. that are going to be in the in the room. Yeah. Because yeah, no matter how. Uh, sorry. No, go ahead, please. No, I was going to say, no matter how engaged management is, I've, I've been basically in leadership most of my life, but no matter how engaged you are, no matter how close you think you are, you just don't have the same eyes as the person on the front line. And in many cases, they were the ones who designed it. So when they call, they know exactly where to go. They know exactly where to push because they've done it a hundred times. You know, I was talking to somebody about their website and they said, oh, it's, I couldn't, I said, I couldn't find it. I said, it was really easy. Just go to the top. It's the third the third item over in the menu bar, click that, it's the second one from the bottom. Well, I mean, how long does it take me to figure out? I'll, I'll give you a better example. So this last week I was in, you and I were talking off air, I was in Nashville and staying at the hotel there and we were having dinner and they and they and we were like waiting for menus and they said, no, you gotta scan the QR code. Now we're, we're kind of post COVID. I mean, there's no mask or anything else. And I said, you know, I'm almost 59 years old and I know what you're thinking. He cannot be 50. I know. That's what I'm saying. I, I'm I said, thinking exactly that. I, that's what I'm saying. And, and I said, do you, but do you have a menu? And he said, no, we don't have menus. You guys scan the QR code. And, and I've had that. I had the same issue at, at Wells Fargo or something. I said, I can't, I can't read this on my phone. I didn't bring my reading glasses. I mean, do you have an option for it? And 
he just looked at me like, like we would never have even thought of that. We do it by QR code now, <laughs> right? Some accommodation that they made for distance, right? With COVID, right. but now it's like, wow, this works great. Does it though? You know, um, those are the kind of things that once again, they look and it works, it's efficient. The bean counters love it, but you're right. It's that, um, that hassle factor. Um, you, Anyway, you, you, I, I interrupted you, but <clears throat> give me more examples. <clears throat> well, yeah, I mean, it, yeah, but part of that is also industry and expectations and who's your target audience. I mean, if your target audience is between 18 and 28, usually, now I, I would still say have a paper menu for people who aren't between 18 sure. and 28. Sure. Um, right. Sure. Usually, I mean, because that's not a, sometimes it's hard to set up uh, you know, exceptions to your experience for edge cases. Sometimes it's not having a couple of paper menus is not very difficult to do, right? This is not a scalability issue. This is not a problem. Uh, it, it can be in other contexts. I've actually, I visited Mexico City twice this year so far, and I was, that's the first time I really experienced the QR codes. It's everywhere there. Like most of the restaurants I went to were a QR code and I had to get used to it. And uh, sometimes they bring it out because my, my Spanish is mas o menos. Uh, so they, you know, they'd, they'd, they'd bring out the, an English menu once in a while. But so it did have me thinking about the same thing. Like, what's the experience here? Like, what, what happens for tourists who have no Spanish or if they don't have an English version on the website? So, it, uh, you know, these things are very interesting and trying to, you know, we're always designing our experiences. I'll say always. We're, we should be done designing our experiences for our optimal customers. But we should also understand that, you know, our persona A, B, and C are not the only, are not our only customers. They may be our target. They may be our focus, but they're not our only customers. And when possible, we do want to look at those, you know, maybe exceptions. I, I don't, I don't think your case was really a huge exception. No, I would but, but isn't that part, but Adam, isn't that part of, of what omni-channel is, right? Isn't it recognizing where things have gone in a way that no matter how they want to communicate with you or buy from you, um, it doesn't mean that we can all, and listen, it goes back to our first point, right? You can't do everything and it's all situational, right? But but isn't that part of the, the crux today of recognizing what's changed with us as customers is there is an expectation that there is some level of flexibility of something at two in the morning or, or um, some alteration of a traditional customer path that we would have seen maybe 10 years ago. What's your experience No, 100%. That was true, you know, in 2019, getting truer every year that it just exploded after COVID, this effect, I think. Um, what customers demand, you know, we're talking about hassle-free and frictionless. That's one of the big things that people demand. One, uh, you know, what I have a chapter in Be Your Customer's Hero called Everyone is Rushed, Everyone's Stressed. And I share some data about how everybody is like stressed out because of their digital devices and all that. Sure. That book was published in 2015. I wrote that chapter in 2014. What are we in 2022? Uh, I think we can all agree it's only gotten worse. Absolutely. <laughs> you know? uh, and that matters. Like to me, the worst thing you can do as a company, now you, you and I are both really busy people. The worst thing you can do is waste my time. You make me jump through hoops, you, but there, you know, it used to be like high performers, entrepreneurs, people that were really busy felt that way. Now everyone feels Everybody that way. Agreed. Agreed. Everyone. And you've, so it's a huge part of that. And I don't, I don't even remember the original question. So forgive me. You can get me back on track. No, sorry, we're, we're talking about whatever we want. It's, it's my podcast. Yeah. Uh, but, 
<laughs> yeah, I mean that that's 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 a that's a crucial aspect of it is understanding. And I think we're talking about flexibility. So one of the aspects of being hassle free is being able to pivot, is being able one having the options that are there. Two, and this is something I actually talk about when I talk about customer experience leadership, having a well trained and empowered staff. When we're not when we're not talking about digital experience that right. can actually pivot in the moment that can pivot well, in real time. Let's talk about that for a second, because I would love your thoughts on this, because this is a, this is a, I, I think we agree this is a necessary um, policy behavioral modification among staff, but it's the scariest one for leaders because, and I want your thoughts on it, because listen, we, we interview people for jobs, right? We bring on our staff, we, we check out their profiles, we look at their social media, we do, everybody does. Uh, and then we ask them those hard questions, right? Tell me about a situation where things didn't go well. How did you handle it? And as soon as we hire them, we neuter them. Now just do it this way. Read this script, do the Asking people to make good decisions, training them on what a good decision looks like, um, and deviating from the script, that predictable, that's scary for managers. How do you, in your training, and your speaking, how do you help companies, leaders cross that Rubicon? Wow, this is a, uh, this is a deep subject, so I will try. Uh, so first of all, you hit the right word, scary. It is about fear. It is completely about fear. But I, I will probably tell you the one thing you're never going to hear another customer experience expert say, because it's not fluffy. When people talk about empowerment, it's all about... Uh, the feel good of letting your employees be themselves right. and be free and all this. Uh, empowerment is a risk reward decision. It is that simple. Okay. You don't give uh, target is not going to give one of their uh, frontline tellers uh, the ability to wire transfer from their bank account. That's an extreme ridiculous example, but it shows that there are limits to empowerment. It's where the line is. Uh, so with empowerment, one of the things that a, a lot of leaders get wrong is not approaching it like that rationally, just approaching it as, okay, what could go wrong? <laughs> All right, what, 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 is, what are the downsides if I give this power, if I give this latitude, right? And then what are the upsides? And people tend to over-index on the fear. They tend to over-index on what may go wrong. Most, and most exactly. Um, but I think once you, uh, once you look at empowerment, I actually tell a story in my keynote. I'll try to give you a short version here about um, sure. uh, General George Marshall. So George Marshall was the uh, chief of staff of the U.S. Army. He was after President Roosevelt uh, during World War II. He was the boss of everybody, including Eisenhower. Most people know General Eisenhower from, and pres later President Eisenhower from D-Day. Uh, so George Marshall's sitting in his kitchen. Oh, excuse me. He's in his garden. His wife gets a phone call from the Army. Goes, gets, gets her husband out of the garden. He gets on the phone. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, all right. Hangs up. His wife's like, well, George, what happened? You didn't say anything. They said it was hugely important. He's like, well, the, um, you know, the troops landed at, in France. He's like, you didn't ask anything. You didn't even ask a question. He's like, well, being this many miles away, I guess that's for Ike to decide. And, you know, I mean, if, 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 this, if this man with the fate of Western civilization hanging in the balance <laughs> can uh, basically say that's Eisenhower's job and go back to his carrots on the eve of the greatest invasion in human history, I think we can all loosen up the reins. I think we can all, you know, give more power and more ability to, um, you know, solve issues in real time. And that's a lot about what empowers, empowerment's about, what you get from it. It is you're solving the issue in the moment because... When you don't, that's automatically a bad experience, right? right. I mean, it may right. not and problems that fester, escalate. 
they cause the negative online reviews and everything else. Exactly. The delay is, I mean, even, even if you fix it, even if you resolve it quickly, the delay is by definition a negative experience, right? You know, it can be a really negative experience or a minor one. It just depends. Uh, so one of the interesting things that the data shows uh, to your, your, you're asking about, like, how do you do this? Sure. It's a cultural thing, right? Uh, empowerment is about culture. So if you have a culture where it's just been locked down, and this is what I had when I, when I opened my retail store, I had everything locked down. I had an MBA, everything had a checklist. And, and then I realized that I had basically uh, ruined everybody's week and lost a customer for $49. <laughs> and I got smart real fast, <laughs> right? Uh, but it's, it's a cultural thing. So one of the things I learned is that it was difficult to go from that to, hey, you're empowered. You can do this now. And the literature actually says there is a difference between actual empowerment and psychological empowerment. So, yeah. So if you're actually moving, to, you're like, you, you, you're, you're woke up, you're born anew. I'm going to empower my team. I see the light. And you just say, okay, here's what you can do here. I'm loosening the reins. You don't have to check in on this. You can do this. Don't be surprised if they don't do it. Right. 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 They, have, they have the technical authority, but do they feel they really have the freedom to do that? And what's the ramifications of doing it wrong? Exactly. Because you've been on their back, their manager, their supervisor's been on their back watching every little thing. Uh, so there is an aspect to it of psychological empowerment and that it takes time. And, and that's about trust. That's about giving them confidence so that they trust, hey, if I do screw up, if I don't use the empowerment quite right, right, you're not going to eat my lunch for it. We're going to have a conversation. You're going to guide me for the next time. But you're, you know, the main thing is I tried. I tried to serve the customer. But, it, but it's trust, but it's also training, isn't it? Because one of the things that, that as, as I think about this, and I don't really do customer service training. I know you do that in addition to the customer experience work. But I talk to him, I said, you know what? We are so cognizant of what can go wrong. Right. We are so and, and as you said, that psychological disempowerment of those individuals just feeling reluctant to step out because they don't want to screw it up. They don't want to get in trouble. Nobody does. Right. But the, the idea of training them to what a good decision looks like within the context of our business model. What does a good right. decision? What is the lifetime value of a customer? And do we worry about stepping over dollars to pick up dimes? Uh, Mark Sanborn's got a great routine about that, where he talks about that. But um, how do we train them to recognize what a good decision looks like so they are psychologically empowered because they've seen examples of it? I mean, I think that is part of an overall training. I mean, uh, companies tend to under-index soft skills training, right? I mean, what, what are the flaws? Are they trained to the policy? Right. They trade operational training. Here's how you use this. When you, when you start, yeah, here's right. how you use the system. Here's how you file, you know, file your uh, TPS reports, right. all that kind of stuff. Um, so when you're trying, when you're training it, one uh, with, when you talk about empowerment is one, letting them know where the lane is. Here's what, mm -hmm. here's a in general rules, you know, here's sort of where, 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 what we're looking at here are some things, but stories, stories are crucial, right? Showing how people have solved problems, how people have gone the extra mile, how people have you know, taken a bad situation and resolved it in the moment and made it a win. And I think stories are, when you're talking about empowerment are, once you've established sort of the, the guardrails are a huge part of that training. Right, right. Stories, scenarios, 
here's what it looks like done well. Here's what, it, um, do you do things with, um, do you do role-playing so that everybody can sort of see here's one gone awry? Because there's some pretty standard scenarios and we're oftentimes on the other side of that because we get pissed off too. We get frustrated when, we, when things are, are delayed or our time is wasted. I mean, the catch with doing role play, we do role play for a lot of things, not as much for empowerment. And one of the reasons is, uh, yeah, for one thing, I'm not an in-house trainer. So we come in, we're in there uh, more short term. Sure. Uh, but the other thing with empowerment is it's improvisation, right? So empowerment is, and you mentioned singing, and we haven't had a chance to talk music before, but I've got a guitar sitting right over here and a bunch in the other room. Um, and, you know, uh, Music, music, improvisation and music, you look at Charlie Parker, he's one of the greatest sure. imp improvisers of all time. He practiced 12 hours a day for years, just scales, just scales and arpeggios. And why does that matter? Because he learned the patterns. He, he ingrained the patterns so that when it came time to recognize a pattern, to, you know, to improvise in real time, when he was actually improvising the solo, he had that vocabulary. And training frontline teams is a lot like that. It is making sure they have those core skills for, you know, the traditional problems, traditional challenges that we face, make sure they have that, then they have the power to use them in real time in a way that makes sense. I mean, we, I mentioned culture at the beginning. When you talk about empowerment, it is culture. It is, we are a customer centric company and so, you know, with, within reason, solving sure. the customer's issue is the number one most important thing we do. Well, let's, let's, go back to, to, let's go back to speed because you talked about that when we're talking about hassle or friction, a cousin of hassle. Um, <clears throat> the thing that I think of anything that has been clarified and, um, and perfected and expanded during COVID is, is, is speed, speed of access, speed of, um, of, of response. I, I, was, I saw a news report the other day. There was somebody talking about they were from Bed Bath and Beyond explaining their their bad quarter, previous quarter, and the spokesperson for the company was talking about they had challenges with supply chain and people weren't finding some of the items that they wanted. And I turned to my wife and I said, "That is just such a load of crap. It had nothing to do with supply chain. You ever gone to Bed Bath and Beyond and you were frustrated you couldn't find something? No, we bought. People are buying it on Amazon. People aren't frustrated with with Bed Bath and Beyond. They're not going there." Um, and, yeah. and of course, this, this kills any opportunity of me keynoting the Bed Bath & Beyond yeah, conference. Yeah, you will not be, but, you will not be yeah. keynoting Bed Bath no, Beyond. No, clear, clearly not. No, but the, but the reality is we are always stopped. I mean, when all things being equal and often, you know, in, in a market replete with quality, um, many things are equal. Who can get it to us faster? And so, but it's not just the things that we want faster, but it's something you alluded to before. It's answers faster. It's problem resolution faster. Talk to me about what, you, what you're seeing there in the marketplace in terms of how the smaller companies are, are shortening the process, responding quicker, reducing some of the rules and regulations that are causing um, delay. Right. I mean, I think there's a, a number of aspects and you mentioned technology earlier. That's one of them because the good news is, sure, Amazon is always going to have a technological advantage over sure. pretty much everyone. But there is so much affordable, you know, what's called SaaS software or service as a software available to small businesses now that is, you know, basically really affordable for businesses of any size to be responsive, to just add a chat widget on their website. The harder part, uh, adding the chat widgets easy, having the person to actually, uh, you know, staff the chat right. widgets, the more difficult part of it. 
Right, but we have uh, but, a world of talent to draw from, but there are resources available for everybody to incorporate some of those processes. Well, exactly. And that's the point. So I think a lot of the, the smart small businesses, the smart businesses that got the memo are doing two things. Look at it as sort of a, uh, offense and defense. Defense, they're trying to reduce hassle, right? They're trying to uh, make it their experience as frictionless as possible. But on the other hand, and uh, we haven't really talked about customer emotion today, they're trying to do the thing that differentiates them from Amazon. Okay. The problem with Bed Bath and Beyond, and I guess I'm not going to be keynoting for them either after this, <laughs> is what happens when you go in there? Is it anything special? Is it something that makes you go, I would rather go in there than hit the button, <laughs> you know, hit the button on my phone while I'm waiting on my wife and I'm in the parking lot to, sh to shop because that's how easy it is. I think the only thing, and it's what all retail has, is the ability to see and touch. But we are more and more treating them as showrooms. I mean, I'll freely admit, I'm the, I'm the guy who went to Best Buy because I needed a really high-end camera for my studio. And I went there and I wasn't going to buy it online. I went in there, I touched it, I felt it, I looked at it, I compared a couple, found the one I wanted, pulled it up on, on Amazon and hit click as I walked out of the store. You know, <laughs> and do I feel bad about that? It's, it's the reality today. And so retail has got to figure out where their competitive advantages are. But anyway, to answer your question, which may have been rhetorical, which is what, what advantage do they have? I think it's just that, uh, or even the instant gratification, but many things on Amazon I can get the same day. It's a crazy time for business right now trying to keep up. But I think it's exciting when you realize that it's also bringing forth so many new technologies and resources for them to keep pace. Oh, 100%. And the thing is, you know, we're seeing uh, retail space has been filling in, it hasn't been quite as disastrous as we all thought it was going to be. The catch is where the example we've been talking about is a mass merchandiser. That's a tough game. Yeah, right. But there are other business models where you, can, where you can differentiate, right? More crafts, smaller, where you can make it an experience. If you sell art supplies, you could have an art night, right? You can do things that are experiential, um that that differentiate you things that amazon can't do for example right so you know it's funny because you and i are in the experience business right this is what we talk about we talk about experience and that's exactly the i think the retailers you know that aren't marquee names that are winning Just that are most Driving, yeah. yeah, they are finding ways to make it more experiential, not just to your point, you know, the touch, see, feel, because I don't really care if I touch my, um, I don't know, the new basket I hang in my shower, right? right. I, don't, I don't need to touch it, feel it, or see it. I just need to click it and get it out of my life. Right? Exactly right. I spoke over, um, over COVID, I spoke for the Middle Eastern and North Africa Shopping Center Association, um, it, which would have been a lot more fun to do in, in Dubai or, or Riyadh than doing it virtually, but it was COVID at the time. Um, and I'm actually heading back over to, to Dubai soon. But what was interesting was they were already struggling. These are all the malls, high-end malls, Dubai, Riyadh, <clears throat> Abu Dhabi, all of this as well. And they were already struggling a bit because, you know, they've got Alibaba, they've got Amazon, and people's shopping habits had changed. Well, then, of course, COVID comes, and they're shut down. And then the big conversation was and is, <clears throat> excuse me, um, how do we, how do we bring them back? And part of the message was recognize what has changed in the world. Yes, people are going to come back. And one of the things you said that the, the death was probably overrated because we need community. We need to gather. We remember the times at Fast Times at Richmond High or whatever and, and Orange Julius at the mall. Um, you and I do. <laughs> Cinnabon, I know we do. Um, but, but the other thing is, recognize that that they're going to have to morph 
and change their mindset of what their role is. And so you're going to see delivery from the gap. You're going to see people sampling food at, at a, a, a lower version of a restaurant, a Chili's 2 or something else, finding out that they really like something and then have that. <coughs> Hang on, Yurish, we're going to cut this out. Hang on. <coughs> That spasm. I did good for most of this. Mm -hmm. Great. All right, get centered again. Like a Chili's two or something else where they realize they like the product and then maybe next time they'll have it delivered, right? Or retail shops taking converting that backroom storage into shipping, right? It's that omni-channel, no matter how you want to buy it, how you want to sample it, maybe they come in and they use it as a showroom, as like a Tesla in the mall. Uh, that to me is really exciting. There's been just a big shift, even on the retail of how they have to look at how they do business and how they're engaging with their customers. Well, hundred percent. I spoke to uh, the furniture industry association a few months ago. And one of the things when I was working with them is it's, it's, it's not simple, but it is simple. The question is simple. The answer is not simple. What is your competitive advantage in today's market? Yeah. Where can you differentiate your experience? What can you do that your competitor can't do? Right. I mean, because furniture industry, they're competing with the furniture store down the street and they're competing with, you know, Wayfair and all these stock and yeah, and all those. Yeah. yeah. So they're, you know, they've they've got to compete on on two levels. Right. And that's a, and that becomes a very interesting challenge. Like, what can you do? How do you build a sense of community? How do you and now the good news is they have high ticket items. Right. They have. Right. They've got things where there is more of a discussion. There is a, almost more of a can be more of a client type relationship, which is not something Bed Bath & Beyond really has. Uh, so that there's, a, there's, there's runway there to achieve that. There's runway to find those ways to connect and do that. But you know, I think the landscape's particularly fascinating because any you know, the interesting one was when I was doing my research is that there were just companies that had not adopted digital. I was yeah, like, you, I mean, can't do, you can't do that. <laughs> you can't. And, and, you know, oftentimes when it happens, some of these multi-generational businesses, it's when the kid takes over and the kid who's 40 or 50 years old and mom and dad, and they finally, <clears throat> let's bring this thing into the modern century, but it's not even an option anymore. I mean, it, it's going to, we, listen, we can lament the loss of some well-known brands, um, you know, Toys R Us or whatever else, but anybody suffering from a lack of toys, anybody struggling to find toys today? Of course not, That's right? Oh. It's because those disruptions, those, um, they're all benefit us. And the ones that drag their feet, you know, I mean, we, we can't overtly say they're going to go out of business, but they're going to struggle. You know, you want to compete. You got to, you got to recognize where all those are. Listen, we could talk forever. Um, I've got an obligation <laughs> to my, my listeners as well to take around 35 minutes. Tight. Dude, what a, what a, what a treat. Um, I love connecting with colleagues and talking about stuff that, that, that we do together and enhancing each other's knowledge. Um, I really appreciate your time. Um, hang on after this. Um, so just stay put. We'll talk really quickly on the other side of this. Big thanks to Adam Toporek for, for being my guest here today. Um, remind you, um, oh, also really quickly, if they want to get in touch with you, how do they do that? Uh, customers at stick.com. That is the best way I'm on some of the socials. You said that way uh, the, too fast. The website. Dude, way too Sorry. fast. Boom, just moving for you. Why not? Uh, but listen, we're, we're trying to get you business too. Go ahead. I appreciate it, brother. Uh, customers that stick.com. That is home based. You can always uh, reach me there. Outstanding. 
You can pick up a copy of my new book, The Morning Huddle, Powerful Customer Experience Conversations to Wake You Up and Shake You Up and Win More Business. Matter of fact, all of my books that are strategically located next to my head on the video version of this podcast are on Amazon. Many of them are in other languages and audiobook as well. Be sure to click to like this podcast, subscribe, and leave a comment. That's the most important part, even if it's just a couple of words. Go look up Adam Toporek. He's uh, really brilliant at what he does. And his book, Be Your Customer's Hero, is, uh, is a must read as well. You can learn more about my keynote speaking and my coaching and consulting at davidaverin.com. Thanks for tuning in. This is the Customer Experience Advantage podcast. Remember, leave a comment, click the little bell, you'll get notifications. Big thanks to Adam Toporek for being my guest here today. I'm David Averin. This has been the Customer Experience Advantage podcast with David Averin. Feel free to leave a comment and be sure to hit the thumbs up button. You can listen to past episodes and be notified of future ones by subscribing on your favorite podcast platform. David's popular marketing and customer experience books are available in print as well as Kindle and audiobook and published in multiple languages around the world. You can stay connected and learn more at davidaverin.com. Thanks for tuning in. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.